Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Deeply, deeply appreciative of that. Um, there's a lot of MMA content out there, and you choose mine as, I, uh, I assume slash hope supplemental um because i am woefully inadequate to once a week for what's my average my average is probably around uh, closer to two hours than i'd like my average podcast is probably 90 something minutes some go longer some go shorter but if i were to average it um yeah, I, I am woefully inadequate to discuss everything under, under you know, these time conditions. So I talk about a little bit here and a little bit there, the stuff I'm interested in, and I'm just grateful that somebody's listening, so thank you. On the agenda this evening, UFC on ESPN 52 from yesterday. Really good card on paper, really good card in practice. Um, would have been a great lead into the final pay-per-view of the year. Unfortunately, we're back to the apex for the card we'll be previewing. Uh, so UFC on ESPN plus 91. And then a couple of news items. They're smaller. Not a lot of news, but um, one of these news items amused me. And one, I think, is a little bit instructive about what's going on. So that's what's on the agenda. Um I promise I will not talk about, like, Bare Knuckle or... Oh, Ryan Garcia had a win. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that either. The temptation to talk about Mike Perry and uh, Eddie Alvarez is pretty big. I actually did watch that fight. I don't hate Bare Knuckle. I get that, you know, no judgment if you don't like it. Please don't judge me for occasionally indulging. Uh, But we won't be going into that too much here. So that's what's on the agenda. Um, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Um, big thanks to, uh, Sal, who is, uh, one of my regular listeners. He's enjoying the weather in what I would consider somewhat sunny Las Vegas. It's pretty cold where I live now. Snow started falling and he's mocking me about the temperature being in the sixties. So, uh, yeah, and I see you down there, buddy. Um. <laughs> Anyone else, again, feel free to leave comments. I try to get to them as often as I can. Um, I don't usually reply in text form for uh, because it's complicated. <laughs> um, but I try to address so anything here. So, again, if you guys have questions, leave them down below on certain websites. Again, I they are relayed to me if they're not public because I have very good editors. And if you want to hit me up on... I don't know, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Win- at Winfrey MMA, W-I-N-F-R-E-E-M-M-A. So give it a listen. I'm a very, I'm a very safe follow. Um, no porn, and very, very few politics. I can't say no politics, just given how pervasive that has become. But very, very few. So if you feel like it, give me a follow over there. If not, whatever. <laughs> It's fine. I My ego is not hurt one way or the other. But All right, that's what we got. So let's jump into it, shall we? 
UFC on ESPN 52. The UFC was in uh, Austin, Texas at the Moody Center. And I said a lot of people, not just me. I'm not, you know, I don't get to claim to be ahead of the curve. Everybody who looked at this card on paper kind of went, you know what? Good fight night. Very good fight night card. Was in practice. To the extent that there was a theme, um, allow me to submit the following. Um, I think there were a few fighters who were kind of seeing if they're coming or going. Right? Um, Main event, little bit the co-main, featured bout, one after the... The top, what, four fights all featured a bit of that narrative. Um... So, a lot, and unfortunately for a lot of those fighters, I think it's time to, I'm not going to say these guys are washed, I'm not going to say they can't win fights, That's a that would be wildly inaccurate. But I don't think it's unfair to look at the evidence right now and conclude that maybe the ceiling has been reached for some of these guys. So, if you, again, if you wanted a theme... That's probably about where where this one landed. But your main event, Armin Saryukian defeats Benil Darius via knockout, knee and punches. It was a bit of a right hand, a right knee, and another right hand. 104 of the first, knocked poor Benil Darius out cold. Um, boy, did Armin Saryukian need this. Not just a win. A win itself would have been very good. But... A lot of us, and I include myself in this, have seen a lot of potential in Saryukian for a few years now. Seeing him finally kind of putting everything together like this, that's um, again, very, very needed for him. Very needed. Unfortunate for Daryush, who at the age of 36? 34. Jeez. He looks older than he is. It's the hair. But be 35 pretty soon, uh, May. I mean, he's been in some wars, man. And, you know, Dariush has been with the UFC for a while. Um, his UFC debut was actually in 2014. Uh, he tapped out Charlie Brenneman in under, in like a minute and 45 seconds. Oh, I remember Charlie Brenneman. Had a brief cup of coffee in the UFC where... His claim to fame was he came in on short notice and kind of got battered by, uh, I think it was Rick Story, wasn't it? Um, no, hang on. I could have sworn that was it. Um, was it the Jason High fight? I remember the Story fight. Um, so for those of you who don't, he came in, beat Jason High, decent enough, got stopped by Johnny Hendricks. This was 2010 Johnny Hendricks, so he was, that man was on a mission. Wins a couple, the story fight was short notice, if memory serves. Um, and then he, yeah, it was bad for him. Like, he had a really bad first round, rallied, kind of in his hometown, got a big win, and then next fight, immediately just head kicked into... Unconscious by Anthony Johnson. Uh, Anthony Johnson. 
beats Daniel Roberts, loses two in a row to Eric Silva, who uh, has it. If you were around when Eric Silva was doing the yo-yo thing, you know why I, I phrased that. Um, lost that, lost to Kyle Noak, won a few fights, won four fights, actually got back to the UFC, lost to Darius, lost to Castillo, lost to Leandro Silva, and called it a career. Um, but yeah, that was his UFC debut in 2014. Dude, he's been there for, when was that, April? Man, his 10th anniversary is coming up. Right? April of 2024. Sorry, January. Excuse me, I misread that. January 14th of 2024 will be 10 years in the UFC for Benil Dariush. That is an accomplishment, man, especially at lightweight. Especially at lightweight. So, my hat's off to him. There was a period of time when you maybe could have argued he should have got a title shot. Unfortunately, he was kind of near the top at the same time that, like, Makashev was rising, and you had Oliveira, and then Volkanovski wanting his shot, and Poirier, and <laughs> Gaethje, and it was just a his time, again, a couple of years ago, not too long ago, like 2021-2022, um, unfortunate that he was just kind of the low man on the totem pole for who the UFC likes and was going to put forth into the title position. Uh, really unfortunate. And it's, again, I'm not saying his career's over, but you lose twice in the first round. Granted, Charles Oliveira, one of the best lightweights in the world, former champion, Arben Saryukian, one of the best lightweights in the world. Where exactly, I don't know, but top five easy. And losing to those two is hardly some gigantic indictment. But coming up on 35, coming up on 10 years in the UFC, and some of the fights that man has been in, he's been in some great fights. That adds up. Um, I, I think we might have seen the ceiling for Benil Dariush. I hope not. I like him. He's one of the few, like, genuinely good guys in the, the sport. Um, I will. I, don't, I may not ever get over the fact that he went into Abu Dhabi, beat that Gamrod. It was that Ferguson. Hang on, I wish to confirm this. Yeah, Gamrod goes into Abu Dhabi for UFC 280, beats Mateusz Gamrod, and to a to the Abu Dhabi crowd, uh, like preaches of Christ. <laughs> That's just never not going to be funny to me. Um, kind of the same way that, like, he didn't do this in New York, but, you, you know, in the build-up to, uh, like, like the, the ceremonial weigh-in for Connor and Khabib, when Khabib looked out at the uh, the American crown, was like, Alhamdulillah, I know you don't like this. Alhamdulillah, all, you know, which is just, Basically, God is great. Um, to this booing audience, like you, you, you gotta laugh a little bit at that and tip the cap, right? Uh, so, again, I'm, I'm not knocking Daryush, but there's a decent chance this was an indicator of his ceiling having, like we've seen it, and he's, he might be on the downside now. 
Hope I'm wrong, but I do have to call it like I see it in that respect. So, uh, Tough loss, man. He's had tough losses before, so not an immediate like end-of-road roadblock, but not a good one. Really big for Soyukian. He wants a title shot next. The lightweight, div fun fact, after this event, no top 15 UFC lightweight, which I suppose would be 16, including the champion, has a fight booked. Now, obviously, the rankings are specifically going to shift a little bit in the wake of this, but Makashev does not have a fight booked. Oliveira does not have a fight booked. Gaethje doesn't have a fight booked. Poirier, no fight booked. Darius just fought. Chandler, no fight booked. Gamrot, no fight booked. Fiziev, no fight booked. Sayukian just fought. Hooker, injured, but no fight. Again, RDA, no fight booked. Um, Benoit Saint-Denis, fought fairly recently, but no fight booked at the moment. Jalen Turner, just fought. We'll get to him. No new fight. Bobby Green, just fought. Nothing new. Hanato Moicano, not has, doesn't have a fight. And Drew Dober fought somewhat recently. Uh, Matt Frivola beat him. I think it was his last fight. But that whole top, that's it, man. Your top group, doesn't. no one in there is booked for a fight. Um, which, it's rare that you have that. That's why I pointed out. Like It's a little like moment in time, but uh, there's three viable challengers for Makashev at the moment. The Oliveira rematch, which my hunch is what they'll do. You got Gagey, who just head-kicked Dustin Poirier. And now you got Saryukian. Um, I don't know. Ex I mean, look, I know what I know what the ways this is going to go. It's going to go to whoever is ready on the schedule the UFC wants. It's usually how this goes. But if you if I mean specifically, like my hunch is Oliveira, but you could go with any of those three. Saryukian you know, making his M his UFC debut, not MMA debut, his UFC debut on short notice against Makashev and giving him probably not his toughest fight. The first fight with uh, Makashev and Volkanovski was probably a little tougher. But short of that, like his toughest UFC fight and short of his one loss where Adriano Martins caught him, like, Saryukian's given him the, mo like, the biggest handful. So you could do that rematch. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways that could go, and I again I don't know, um, but I'm not going to complain about any of it. So that was your main event, short, violent, good time um, as a viewer, not you know for Benil Dayush obviously. Uh, let's see, co-main event. Oh, this one, Jalen Turner on short notice. So this was originally Bobby Green and Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker rebroke his arm. Um, it was the same same arm that he broke in the Jalen Turner fight. Apparently he tried for just too quick a turnaround. You got to make sure that heals all the way, and he into kind of a gamble, rebroke it. So that sucks. Um, Turner knocks out Bobby Green, 249 of the first. The length was just a problem that Green never really found an answer for. Um, Turner just sniping him very accurately, drops him with a right hand, gets on top, and then Kerry Hatley, the referee, um, 
one of the all-time worst late stoppages you'll ever see. I don't know. I can't quite call it the worst because, you know, Mario Yamasaki basically looking at um, Valentina Shevchenko and saying, kill Priscilla Cachuea. Um, That was something. There have been a few where a referee might have, like, not quite checked for unconsciousness in a choke. Um, And I suppose, depending on how you want to think about it, I mean, I'll explain why I can, why, um, how do you rank this? So, whether you consider something like this, which is just a barrage that is late interference, or somebody getting, like, one-punched and falling, and the referee coming over and deciding, no, hit him a few more times, that's a little bit of, like, a personal call. Which one bothers you more? Um, like, if you want an example of that one, um, Francisco Trinaldo and Jai Herbert... Or uh, what Jacare did to Chris Weidman. Where somebody gets hit and they fall and they're like, no, I'm pretty done. Um, and the referee's just like, comes over and like, I don't know, you look okay. And then two or three more shots that aren't necessary before they step in. Don't like that. Um, I might like that less, to be candid, but that's a personal thing. In this instance... Uh, Green drops, Turner gets on his back, and I'm not calling for it personally. I'm not calling for a stoppage just because of the way Green fell. It wasn't good, but once you see, like, the next two shots come in, and Green's, like, his hands are up, sort of covering, but he's not moving much, that's when you wave it off. Instead, Kerry Hatley's sitting there looking, and just, like, Punch, 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 punch. Dude, commentary on this. Like, they've all clearly been told at various points, like, back off of the stop the fight stuff. Never mind the utter hypocrisy of some of this. So, this is part of what got Dan Hardy fired, was... I think it was... Was it actually the Trinaldo and Herbert fight? I think it was. Um, where he, after that fight... As it's happening, he stands up. He's a commentary. This is COVID, so it's spaced out a little bit. He stands up and he's yelling, you know, what are you doing? Stop the fight. He's on commentary, so we can hear that. Which is not uncalled for, as a general rule. And then after the fight, he takes the headset off. He stays in his booth. But he takes his headset down, So he, and he somewhat emotion, a little bit heated. Not angry, but, you know... Emotions running high. He and Herb Dean have a conversation. And it wasn't a screaming match. It wasn't... It, it was emotional. But it wasn't, like, violent or close to violent. And... It, then it... And, you know, nothing really came of it between the two of them. And then after the fact, you know, not the only reason Dan Hardy was fired, but part of it. Because Dana White, after the fight, was like, at the post-fight press, was like, you know, you ever you ever step to a, a, an official and you're never going to work here again. Never mind that Dana has done that. Never mind that Dana has yelled more than once, hey, stop the fight. Apparently, the only reason it bothered him when Dan Hardy did it in this particular event, or when commentary in general, it was, well, the referee could hear you. Because there's no crowd. You do 
understand that if you scream stop the fight at the referee and the referee can't hear you, you're engaging in performative nonsense, right? Sorry, brief tangent. So commentary is pretty clearly like under um, direction. Don't yell stop the fight. And they don't. They Green gets dropped and Brendan Fitzgerald and uh, Turner gets on top and lands a couple of punches and Green and Brendan Fitzgerald like and the, and yes he is he's gonna do it and my, Michael Bisbee's going like that should be the fight that should be the stoppage referee where are you and it goes on there's like I think Helwani timed it on Twitter so you can rewatch the fight I mean you can rewatch it and time it if you want. It's like 10 seconds from the time Green gets dropped to the time the fight is stopped. Um, and there's no reason for it. There's There was no reason. I, I w- Some people might have said the way he fell, it should have been waved off right away. I was willing to go like one or two follow-ups. Um, personally, I, I think I hate saying that about head trauma. I really do. But there is a degree of um, you, you kind of have to al- allow that to play out just a bit. And everyone knows that. And, like everyone signed up for this. So much as that, you know, giving somebody more head trauma is never good. I could have understood it. And it just kept going and commentary gets to the point where they're questioning, like, what are we doing? Why is not the referee intervening? And then eventually he does, but... Um, horrible. Horrible officiating job. In this instance by Kerry Hatley. Absolutely terrible. Um, Turner needed that win. Two split decision losses, and I thought he lost both of those fights, so he needed that. Um, Bobby Green, another one of these fighters you know, later in his career doing a little bit of a resurgence um turner was always a tough matchup for him and man the extra had the extra damage he took here was just wasn't good really wasn't good but i i think it is not going to say bobby green's never going to win another fight I do feel pretty good saying that, you know, whatever resurgence he had in terms of, like, making a, a genuine, like, move through the up the rankings, probably done. Probably done at this point. So, good win for Turner. Bantamweight. Boy, was I wrong about this one. Yeah, I did not have a good night pick-wise. Um, I think I got all the top four wrong. But, I, mean, I mentioned I'm going to start. I might track this for 2024, if nothing else, than for my own edification to see how bad I am at it. But um, Davison Figueredo defeats Rob Font, the unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. I gave Font the first. The other two went to Figueredo, and I don't think that's... Um, I, clearly not too controversial. Uh, there was a... So the size got brought up, and commentary mentioned... Font had apparently told this to commentary during the fighter meetings. They related on the broadcast, and I think it, I think Font was exactly right. 
they were asked, you know, is Figueredo going to be too small for bantamweight? And Fawn's response was, I think he'll be short. I don't think he'll be small. There's an important distinction there. And I think Font was exactly right. Figueredo at bantamweight, man. Um, I don't. I'm not saying title. I'm. Re, I, I'm not. He's a bit too old. But a few things that were of note here, that I think play into his favor. One was the matchup in particular. Font's jab was working okay, but he never. He he struggled to build off of it too much. And Figueredo's power, I don't think it's as destructive at 135 as it was at 125. But it's definitely still there. He wobbled Font a couple of times. Um, he can't quite fight the same way he did at Bant- um, at Flyweight. He did a lot of body work, um, especially if he kind of got you backing up. If you're covering up, he would just roast your ribs. And just to further break you down, he doesn't quite, he did some body work here, but not much. It's, I think some of the size difference means he's going to have to do a bit more headhunting to try and equalize uh, some of the playing field. His takedowns, once he started getting them working, were pretty good. Took him a bit to get them going. His top control is still a bit of an issue. Now, some of that is Rob Font being pretty darn good at getting out from underneath you. Some of it might be not just size, but a little bit of a strength issue that he's going to run into down here, or up here, rather. Not not the end of the world, but Bantamweight's also very scrambly, and there's enough of a size disparity that there's going to be guys he's going to struggle to make that work against. Um, but dude still hits really hard, still pretty accurate. He is not hugely outsized. He might be on the wrong end of height and reach in this division, but that's not a disqualifier if you know how to fight through it. And I think Figueredo knows how to fight through it. So, um, I'm very curious to see what he does next. Beating Rob Font is no joke. Um, So, very curious to see how that goes. Uh, good debut in the division for Davis and Figueredo. Uh, now we got to talk about Rob Font, unfortunately. One and four in his last five. Now, the losses in question are, to be intellectually honest, right? It's Jose Aldo. It's Chito Verda. It's Corey Sandhagen. And now Davis and Figueredo. That's a tough row. And it's in there, like between those, so it's two losses a win and two losses. The win was a good win over Adrian Yanez. Unfortunately, Yanez might, he hit a bit of a ceiling too. Um, he needs to retool some stuff. But Font is 30 something, he's 36. Um, and bantamweight warrior, man, dude's been in the trenches. I give him nothing but respect. Um, his UFC debut was against a a fairly unknown fighter named Joey Gomez. But since then, let's go through his resume, shall we? So that what I'm about to say makes sense. 
John Lineker, Matt Schnell, Douglas Silva de Andrade, Pedro Munoz, Thomas Almeida, Rafael Asensao, Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, Marlon Moraes, Cody Garbrandt, Jose Aldo, Marlon Vera, Adrian Yanez, Corey Sandhagen, and Davison Figueredo. Find me a soft touch that is not his UFC. Sorry, his UFC debut is against George Roop. Forgive me. Um, didn't quite scroll down far enough. So throw George Roop in there, and y'all may not remember George Roop, but there was a that was a very up and down fighter. But uh, at the time they fought, how was he doing at the time they fought? It was one of his last fights, actually. Um, he's still going into that fight. He was three and one in his last four. Now, all of those in the UFC. So George Roop was not someone to be trifled with. Dude, he head kicked Chan Sung Jung at WEC 51. Um, so that's your UFC debut. And he di- he won that fight. Um, yeah, I have nothing but respect for Rob Font. But I do think all those miles are adding up. And again, it, it kind of sucks because he's a good fighter, but we might have we might have seen the ceiling for him at this point. He might be on the wrong side of his uh, career trajectory. You know, they always very few, and almost statistically unimportant few, end on high notes, end their career on an upward trajectory. Dude, even like George St. Pierre. Um, his last couple of fights, you he won. I, I don't mean the Bisping fight, but like his last few at welterweight. Like he won them, but he barely beat Johnny Hendricks. I scored that for him, but he barely beat him. Like that fight hinges on one round and how much value you give a slip. That's how close it is. I, I mean that. So he barely got it there. The, the trajectory was going was had started to go down a little bit. You know, John Jones, his light heavyweight trajectory definitely had dipped before he moved up after that three-year layoff. They just you almost even if even if George basically retired on the triumphant moment of winning a title in a second weight class, which he did. Uh, Great moment, but coming back after the big layoff against a very favorable matchup. I I don't mean that Michael Bisbing was some kind of fraud. That's a, that is not true. But I don't think anyone thought Michael Bisbing was actually the best middleweight in the world. He was the champion, and he deserved it. He beat the other—he he knocked out the champion to become the champion— We'll stop there. But the fact that his only title defense was a rematch with old man Hendo, when you've got Jacare and Whitaker and oh, who was the other guy surging at that time? Romero, right? You all Romero? Dude, you had a you had at least three options of legitimate top tier talent. And you and everyone involved went out of their way for a Dan Henderson fight. Like, come on. So, 
GSP picked his spot, and I don't even blame him for it, mind you. But like the one of the only guys in MMA who's actually like retired on the upward trajectory would be Khabib. I hate to bring him up like that, but that's probably it. That's probably true. I mean, there might be some other guys if we got kind of noodly, but you know, he's kind of it. Um. So we might the point there being about trajectories. We might be on the starting to go down, starting to trend down part of Rob Font's career. Um, that might have even have started already, and we just didn't realize it. Now, tough loss for Font. Really, really good win for Figueredo. Title at bantamweight, I'm I'm not sold on, but. He's not going to be out. Um, he's not going to be completely outsized. Again, height and reach issues, yeah. Especially some of the bigger, some of the longer guys in this weight class, definitely. Outsized, though? No. Like, you can be a shorter fighter in a division and not be the smaller guy, if that makes any sense. So, curious to see what he does next. Um, yeah, dude, he came in, he beat a top bantamweight, a ranked bantamweight. He's going to be in that kind of general position, so he's going to get somebody else tough next. Wouldn't hate him and Piotr Jan. Just going to throw that out there. A lot of other people were. I'm adding my voice to that one. Figueredo and Jan, I'd be down for that. I'd be down for that pretty easy. Uh, all right, and next up, welterweight. Kelvin Gastelum made 170 for the first time since 2016. Um, returns to the division and promptly kind of gets run over by Sean Brady. Um, Brady wins via Kimura, 143 of the third. <sighs> Couple of things. Um, Sean Brady, dude, if you want to know how unpopular Bilal Muhammad is, I bring that up because in the wake of Bilal beating Sean Brady, a lot of people were super critical of Brady, myself included. And Bilal Muhammad got on Twitter and was like, what? I thought Brady sucked as he's kind of like comprehensively out grappling Kelvin Gastelum. And, like, one of the first responses is Darren Till going, shut up and go to bed, no one likes you. (laughs) Then that response from Till is like a wildly more popular tweet than Muhammad's by any measure. (laughs) I feel so bad for Bilal, man. Like, he is, I'm not going to pretend that I like him as a fighter. I'm just, I'm... I'm kind of ambivalent, but I've said for a while he deserves the next title shot, and it's unfortunate that he's getting overlooked purely for promotional slash monetary reasons. I don't like that. He may not be my favorite fighter, but you do have to reward the guys who earn it, and he's earned it. Uh, but that, that poor guy can't catch a break, PR-wise. Um. But if you want to be super cynical about it, there's two things that you could take away. 
One would actually be that Kelvin Gastelum is a lot more washed than we thought. I actually am kind of coming down a little bit on that side. I'll explain why in a minute, and that's not to take away from Sean Brady. Um, Brady's striking still looks to be an issue. The thing that... That's what really bit him against Bilal Muhammad. Once it was clear that Muhammad was not going to get taken down and could clinch break and then stop him from even tying up, there was no plan B for Sean Brady. He didn't have a secondary takedown. He didn't have a lot of striking. Michael Chiesa outstruck him on the feet. Brady's response to this, in this fight at least, seemed to be a lot more just, I got to go forward. It helps that Gastelum wasn't as stout in his takedown defense. There's different ways to handle guys who are just relentlessly trying to take you down. And different styles of relentless takedowns match up differently with different styles of and philosophies of shutting that down. What Brady ran into against Bilal was, I can't get you down. And then I can't keep you clenched. Then what do I do? Oh no, all I do is back up and get punched in the face. That's, that's a rough spot to be in. When, you're, when your plan A doesn't work and even like sub-variations of plan A don't work and you've never been in that position, bad spot. Very bad spot. He seems to have learned a little bit from it, but Gastelum's response to people trying to take him down consistently has usually been... I've got decent first order, like you're not going to get me down with one shot. Then we get to the fence, and if you persist in this, then we start wrestling. And maybe I'll hit the ground, maybe I'll, but I'll be able to get back up, and I've got pretty good wall walking. A, a willingness to engage in the scramble wrestling area of this that will that will massively drain the tank and the men, and the like mental fortitude of guys who need to get you down and they need to control you. It doesn't work as well on guys who need to just get you down and then are great about rapidly improving position to the point where suddenly you're behind the eight ball. And that's what Brady does. He doesn't need you to be down for very long because he doesn't need to get into a traditionally dominant position. He can, but as long as when you get back up, you haven't created separation, you're still in trouble. What gave, Why Bilal gave him problems largely stems from Bilal being, first of all, big and strong, but never letting that takedown develop. Um, if you want another example of this, I'm going to reference Khabib again. Um, Khabib's toughest fight in the UFC for the longest time was his fight with Glayson Tebow. Some of that was Khabib being a little bit younger. Some of that was Glayson Tebow being 
A, you just roadblock that a lot of guys couldn't deal with. But Khabib kept getting him to the fence, kept trying to take him down, and Tebow stonewalled him there. That shut Sean... That same idea stopped Sean Brady when he fought Bilal Muhammad. He got Bilal to the fence, and then Bilal... Okay, your hands are never getting together. Ever. And... What are you going to do if you can't lock your hands? You want to be up here? All right, I'm going to turn you because I know what I'm doing here. Now I'm going to clinch break. Now what do you got? You know, you want to do it again? You can't do it again. Next time you even try to get close, one, you're eating a jab. Two, I'm, I'm underhooking and I'm creating wedges instantly so you never even really get chest to chest. Now what do you got? Oh, now you got nothing. That's hard to do. And it's really hard to do against someone who's very good. This is one of the, I'm not taking anything away from Brady or Bilal. Sean Brady developed a little bit here, a change in mindset. Gastelum stopped his first couple of takedown attempts. But he didn't get discouraged by it. That helps. It helps that Gastelum was overswinging on his punches and never really landed anything. One of the other things that I think messed with Brady's head when he fought below Muhammad was he got punched in the face. And, look, Kiesa hit him a few times, but Kiesa also was willing to get out of position chasing him, and Muhammad was not. He was way willing to be super methodical about that, and it really broke down Brady. Um, in this instance, Brady was relentless, Dude, some of his his positional work on top is exceptional. Gastelum is pretty darn good at getting out of some bad spots, especially he'll give up, he'll go to the turtle, and then he's got a couple of rolls that he hits from there um, that have been very successful for him. Brady was ready for that, never lost the back. But he did eventually, but like never where you you'd expect it. And even if he did lose it, he just stayed on the back positionally, pulled Gastelum back down, got back to work. Um, very, very important win for Sean Brady. Very, very, uh, very good performance. It's still, he's still operating in his comfort zone. And it is somewhat on the other guy to take you out of your comfort zone. But I, I'm willing to say he... He hugely helped his career and showed that he's not just going to fall apart at the first hint. Uh, oh, I had one setback. Now everything crumbles. No, he's not that guy. I need to see somebody else in the cage get him out of his comfort zone and see how he responds to that. But this was an important win for him, and I give him that credit. As for Gastelum... Uh, here's the thing about him. He might only be 32. But he came into the UFC super young. He was only like, I think he was only 21 when he got to the UFC. He debuted for the UFC in April of 13, so he's over 10 years in the UFC now. It's a long time. And he's had some tough fights. Some wins, some losses. Um, but... He's been in some tough fights along the way. 
I'm not necessarily willing to... Look, man, I kind of thought he lost that Chris Curtis fight. Did Robert Whitaker beat him? He, he's, he's what, two and six in his last eight? Now, let's go over the losses here to be fair, right? Interim title fight with Israel Adesanya in 2019. One of the best fights ever. Darren Till, that was more telling. He gets heel hooked by Jack Hermanson, wins a fight, loses to Robert Whitaker, loses to Jared Cannonier, gets that weird win over Chris Curtis, and now loses to Sean Brady. The only one of those wins that I think is genuinely kind of clean would be the Ian Heinish win. Dude, you lost to Darren Till in 2019. It might be time. Not saying Kelvin Gastelum's a bum. Not saying Kelvin Gastelum's never going to win another fight. Do, I do think it might be time to say he might have hit his ceiling. We might be again on the downward side of his career. Might be wrong. He's still he's certainly not an easy fight, but there were ways he could have won this fight, and he made choices that. Did not help him. Uh, let's see. Lightweight. Uh, Joaquim Silva defeated Clay Guida via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. I was 30-27. I did not give Guida the second round. I can see the case for it. So not up in arms. But I did not agree with it. Um, yeah, I, um, Silva has a really good first round. Guida kind of rebounds in the second. And then Silva just kind of beats Guida everywhere in the third. My antipathy for Clay Guida is pretty well documented at this point. I have been bored and annoyed by his presence for like eight years. Because I stopped like, I didn't like Clay, I was, I was like anti-Clay Guida before his fight with Gray Maynard, which is when everyone else kind of realized that he's not that good. Um, I was there before that. So it's been a long series of years with me having to watch Clay Guida fights because I don't like them. They're just... Guida fights go one of two ways, okay? Every every fight you remember of his, he lost. Or he bounces around, moves around, and then out-wrestles you for enough rounds to win a decision. And nothing really happens. That's the dichotomy of Clay Guida fights. Um, don't like him as a fighter. I don't know him as a person, so I can't comment, but don't care for his fights. Them claiming that he's a Hall of Famer because one of his fights is in the Hall of Fame annoys me to no end. And he's not the only one they do this for, but... No, you're not a Hall of Famer. You had a Hall of Fame fight. Not the same thing. Not the same thing at all. Um, he's like 40-something. He's still he's just kind of kicking around because Dana White likes him. Um, Silva got a win here. He needed it. Um, hopefully he can stay a bit more active. That's a guy that, you know, some of us had a little bit of uh, some moderate expectations for him back in like 2015. Like 15-16. Um... Then he just fought like once a year for a while. This was the first time he fought. He's fought twice in 2023. That's the first time he's fought twice in the same year since 2018. 
big old chunks of time he lost for reasons I don't know. I mean, I'm sure at one play, I'm sure at least one of those is injury related, but it's just, I think he just lost too much time at this point. Um, then kicking off the main card, Dustin Stoltzfus with a remarkably composed performance beats Punahele Soriano. Um, doesn't get sucked into a brawl, keeps his composure, good body kicks, good front kicks. Um, able to, has a pretty good jab going, uh, just outstrikes Soriano, drops him, chokes him out. Good win for Stoltzfus. Did not see that one coming, but good on him. That's your main card. Prelims, Misha Tate defeats Julia Avila via face crank. Um, one fifteen of the third. This was... Guys like Clay Guida or you know, f- um, someone like Misha Tate, winning in 2023 is a pretty damning indictment on whoever they're fighting. Both of their games are permanently stuck like 10 years ago. And they still find success because the UFC employs several fighters who aren't very good. This was probably win or go home for Tate. If she couldn't be Julia Avila, then she shouldn't be fighting in the UFC. And that she did. It was just, yay, I wrestle. And then I pass guard, and then I, you know, do little bits of ground and pound, and then we repeat this until I get something I like. Her left, her right eye was messed up um, from what little Avila did land. I don't consider this, like, transformative. It was a somewhat feel-good... I've never been a Misha Tate fan. So for her fans and for herself, it was kind of a feel-good moment, but... Like, congratulations, you fought way down. They, they went way down to find somebody that you should be... That you could beat. So, you know, good on you. Uh, middleweight, Cody Brundage. We had, you know what, other thing about this card. There were two slam finishes back-to-back. First time in UFC history you had two slam finishes on the same card, much less immediately, again, in immediate sequence. Um, this was one of them. Cody Brundage struggled a little bit against Zach Reese. Um, got him down, but Reese's guard was giving him problems. Uh, Reese locks up a triangle choke. Brundage lifts him up, slams him. A couple of more punches. Um, he needed that win. Fight before that, Drakkar Close defeats Joe Selecki via slam, 141 of the first. Sorry, I'm Brundage and Reese was 149 of the first. So Drakkar Close, uh, he gets taken down by Selecki pretty quickly. Selecki gets the back. Close breaks his hook, spins into him, gets on... No, sorry, he tried to get the back too early. Close rolled through, got on top. Selecki tried an arm bar. Close... Gets on his feet, you know, gets ready, lifts him up, and then he doesn't spike him on the top of his head. He slams him like a towel. You know, you come up, and then he brings him down on, like, his temple and shoulder, so not face first or anything, and just bounces the side of his head off of the octagon floor, knocks him out cold. Um... 
if you've got some of those submissions, guys, you gotta you don't have a lot of time to make this decision, but if you get elevated, you might have to bail. You know, they say don't part of the don't slam out of some of these is if you try to slam out of the armbar, too many people like they get there and they lift up and then straight down like they're trying to drop you on your back. So like you, if you watch professional wrestling, like you're taking a back bump, right? That's a lot of times when you do that, you just wind up pushing yourself deeper into the hold. They extend more. You've seen that a hundred times. That's not what Dracar Close did. He was trying to slam this guy on his side. And it worked. So you've got to be very cognizant of what's going on there and be prepared to bail on some of these holds. Um, you know, Reese got caught off guard with that lift because he was, you can see as he's going up, he's ha- he's reaching for a leg like, oh crap, I didn't think he's going to be able to lift me. I need to underhook a leg to stop this from happening. He can't reach them. At that point, if you can't reach, you have to let go. You have to bail. Otherwise, you're going to get slammed. And maybe you can hold on through the slam. Because if they can't get you, if they can't get out of the choke with the slam, they're going to be deeper into it, especially a triangle. They're going to be deeper into it. But you got to be careful because you might land head first or they might headbutt you on the way down. I mean, that's what basically happened between Rampage Jackson and Ricardo Arona in that famous clip. He just... Rampage was a beast. If you didn't watch Prime Rampage Jackson, the man was a physical monster. Because Ricardo Arona has the full triangle choke. Jackson, on his feet, hoists him up for a slam. And a lot of guys, they come up, you know, they get about to waist level and they kind of drop back down. No, no, no. Full power bomb from Jackson. All the way up and all the way down. And as he's coming down, he collapses in after the slam and they kind of bang heads. Um, which wasn't seen at the time and I don't really care that the referee missed that. Like, dude, you slam somebody that hard. Good on you. Um, but you got to be prepared to bail on those. So good wins for those two guys. Light heavyweight Adolfo Bellato uh, defeated Ihor Potieria via TKO 417 of the second. Um, kind of back and forth, sloppy first round. Second round, uh, Potieria had a hand speed advantage and was much better about his footwork, but Bellato just terminated his way towards him. Um, second round, Bellato gets dropped. Potieria gets on top, tries to finish him. Bellato's able to tie up enough to avoid that. Fights his way back to his feet, bulls him into the fence and Potieria is gassed at this point and Bellato just tees off until he falls over. Um, this was your fight of the night. I'm okay with it. A bit too sloppy for me to act, for me to give it too much praise, but good drama and it certainly wasn't boring. Um, let's see then Jared Gooden Another big comeback here. Defeats Wellington Terman via rear naked choke. 111 of the second. Terman wins the first round pretty handily. Outstriking Gooden basically the whole way. Landing a really nice left hook. Um, second round, Gooden. They kind of trade left hooks and Gooden just landed better. Terman gets hurt. Gooden follows him. Punches him down. Gets on top. Gets the back. Gets the choke. 
Um, kind of fortunate for Gooden. Gooden's right eye was a mess after this fight. Um, Terman did a number on him in that first round, man, but he persevered, found an opportunity in the second round. Good on him. And kicking everything off, Veronica Hardy defeated Jamie Lynn Horth via split decision, 29-28. Um, was okay-ish with the split. Hardy clearly took the first. I thought she took the second, and then Horth kind of figures things out in the third. Um, second was close enough, I suppose, that, again, I'm not up in arms over the split. Good enough win for Hardy. Um, fast hands, pretty good kicks, good movement for the, uh, dealing with the bigger woman until once Horth got a hold of her and was able to, like, force clinches consistently and kind of work her over there. That's what won her the third round. Just a little bit too little too late, unfortunately, for her. And that was the card. Um, we did lose one fight... The one we lost, uh, Steve Garcia and Melchiel Zulcasta. Um, Garcia had some kind of an illness, had to pull out. So 12 fights. Um, and a card that really delivered. Um, your bonuses, I mentioned fight of the night. Other than that, if you got a finish, you got a bonus. A This is becoming a semi-regular reminder on my part that the UFC could, in fact, afford to do this every time and choose not to because they are cheap. And greedy. And can we call the UFC miserly? Miserly has a very specific definition. You, you might wonder about that. Like, it's one thing to be like, just, I want money. Miserly is like a desire for money to the point where it harms things. Like, you don't just want money. You want to hoard it. And you won't spend it, even if it would be to your advantage. A lot of people are greedy and like money, but they also like spending money, you know, and using it for various things. If you want an under, if you want an understanding of, I think maybe the most poetic definition of miserly um, comes from Charles Dickens in uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, there's a line about uh, Ebenezer Scrooge where he says, uh, the line goes like, "Darkness was cheap, and Scrooge liked it." Scrooge is not a poor man, and yet his house is largely unlit just because he doesn't want to have candles. It's Dickens, you know, so that that's where, you know, that's what you get light from. Because it's cheaper to be in darkness than to be in light. When he could easily afford to, not, again, when it's almost like detrimental, that's when it gets miserly. We might be able to argue the UFC miserly in some cases. Um, but here, again, they bonused everyone who got a finish. So, Saryuki and Turner, Brady, Stoltzfus, Tate, Brundage, Close, and Gooden. Um, Bellato obviously got the, fin the bonus for fight of the night. So, yeah. The UFC could do this a lot. They don't. They could. I think I've said for a while now this is what they should do. Create a bonus for getting finishes rather than that incentivizes the kind of fighting you want more than I'm going to hold half your purse hostage. So just throwing that one out there. But that's the event. Full report in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Give it a read. Much appreciated. All right. Um, moving on. Again, I don't expect us to be here too long. So we're about to hit the hour mark. You know how much longer this is going. I don't. But the preview's not going to take long, and then I don't think any of the news is all that. 
important, but let's find out. So, UFC on ESPN Plus 91 this coming Saturday. We're back in the apex. Yay. Um, this is not a good card. Plus side, if you'll recall, this was supposed to be um, uh, in Shanghai. Right? That was the original destination for this. Would have been their fir- the UFC's first event in Shanghai since uh, 2017 when Bisbing and Gastelum fought. If you'll recall, it was supposed to be Gastelum and I think Rich Franklin, and then Franklin fell out and Bisbing was like two weeks removed from getting bludgeoned and choked out by George St. Pierre, stepped in and got violently knocked out by Gastelum. Um, would have been their first return to mainland China since the pandemic, to say nothing of, you know, six years. Um, fortunately, for whatever reason, they didn't. So we've got here, we're going to have um, Road to UFC Season 2 Finals. Nope, sorry, that was what was supposed to happen here. Those got moved, so we've got what we've got. The main event, in fairness to this card, is pretty good. Song Yudong and Chris Gutierrez. Song is young. He's only 26. His, um, he's got a couple of UFC losses to Kyler Phillips and then the doctor stoppage against Corey Sandhagen. That happened after the fourth round of their fight. That fight could have been stopped after the third. Um, the cuts on him were bad. But he rebounded, beat Ricky Simone his last time out. That was back in April. A lot of upside to him. He's fighting, and he's fighting Chris Gutierrez. Um, Gutierrez's only UFC losses are to Hani Barcelos and Pedro Munoz. He's coming off a good win over Alatong Hele. He's the guy who I did he knock out Frankie Edgar in Edgar's retirement fight? I think he did. Um, I would like Gutierrez's chances more if this were a three-round fight. Over five rounds, Song has power. He's persistent. There's He's only 26. There's a lot of... Hang on. He's 26, so there's still a lot of room for growth. But he does have 20... This is going to be his 30th fight. That's a lot to have done very young. That's some miles that he's accrued. Mm. I'm still going to lean his way. Um, I I am not trying to discount Chris Gutierrez. If Song is not ready for some of the leg kicks in particular, he might be in trouble. Um, Gutierrez is very good at those. Uh, he comes from... It's not fact... He comes from... Um, same camp as um, Jonathan Martinez, which is... Uh, I always get him confused with Mark Montoya. What is Mark Montoya? He does bring out a Factory X. Why was I mistaking him? Whatever. Um, yeah, he kicks hard. <laughs> I don't think he kicks quite as hard as Martinez, but he kicks hard. If Song's not prepared for those, that'll be a problem. 
but Gutierrez doesn't... He struggled a bit when he gets into firefights. And Song is pretty good about kind of forcing those. Fast hands, good power. So I'm leaning towards Song here, but this is a good fight. This... I am not complaining about this as a fight night main event um, here or in a market where they have to sell tickets. Like, good matchmaking here, like the fight. Now things start to go downhill a little bit. Um, we have a light heavyweight fight between Anthony Smith and Khalil Roundtree. This was originally Khalil Roundtree and Azamat Mirzakhanov. Uh, Mirzakhanov is dealing with pneumonia issues. Hope he recovers. Um... So Smith replaced him, and they got moved from, I think, last week's card to this one. I don't know about this one. Like, Roundtree, he's on a good winning streak. He's on one four in a row. He's just been inconsistent. Smith, dude, Smith's just been in the trenches, man. Um, Smith might be a little bit chinny, which is, I mean, the man has like 55 fights. Good grief. He's accrued damage. It's understandable. If this were five, I would favor Smith. He's got more experience there. I think he could maybe deal with some early problems and then drag things late. Over three, I actually am going to favor Roundtree. Might be very, very wrong here. Um, thanks just for the heck of it. What are the odds on these fights? Uh, we have this updated. Yeah, there we are. So, Song is a favorite. That tracks. Yeah, Roundtree's the favorite here. Yeah, and I agree. Ooh, Gutierrez is like plus 300. I'm okay favoring Song. That seems like a bit much. Um, anyway. I'm gonna go with Roundtree here. I just, I don't know how Smith's resistance will hold up. I don't know. I don't, this is one that could go, I expect this to go pretty solidly one way or the other. Um, I just feel like it's gonna go Roundtree's. We have a flyweight fight between Sumu Darji and Alan Nascimento. Um... Sumo Darji has... He's done okay in the UFC. 3-2. and two. Um, He lost to Louis Smolka. Then he won three in a row. Andrei Shukum taught Malcolm Gordon and Zarek Adeshev. Um, At flyweight, he's 2-1. and one, The Gordon and Adeshev fights. And he's coming off a loss to Matt Schnell. That might be a little bit indicative. Um, Nascimento, by contrast... Um, he's fought for the UFC at least once. I want to say twice. Um, he's 20-6 and six overall. 2-1 and one with the UFC. Okay. Lost a split decision to Tiger Ulanbekov. Rebounded with two wins. Um, Jake Hadley and Carlos Hernandez. I'm okay favoring Nascimento here. Um... I'm not trying to dump on Mudar on Sumudarji, but this feels like a tough fight for him. Let's see, lightweight, um, Nazrat Hakparast and Jamie Malarkey. 
Hawkfrost, one of these, uh, one of these real up and down guys. Um, more up than down, but when he has downturns, they're pretty notable. Um, lost his UFC debut, won three in a row, lost to Drew Dober, won two in a row, lost two in a row, Dan Hooker and Bobby Green, so took a step up in class, fell short. Last two wins, John McDessie and Landon Quinones. Um, he's looked okay in the last couple of fights, but... I don't know. Malarkey, Malarkey came off and went over John McDessie, lost to Muhammad Naimov before that. Malarkey, another kind of up-and-down guy. Hack Perest is going to have success. The question is whether or not it's going to be enough to really put down Malarkey. Malarkey's tough. Uh, I could see this going either way. I'm going to take a little bit of a leap on Malarkey here. Is it Hack Press is going to have success? I just I'm not sure it's going to be enough. So I'm I'm going to lean a little bit towards Malarkey. Let's see middleweights Andre Muniz who had a tough setback man against Brendan Al. He's had two. Um, dude, he came into the UFC and was on a bit of a run. Got some good wins under his belt and then Brendan Allen and Paul Craig both beat him. Um, now he's fighting Jun Young Park. Um, is the Iron Turtle? It is! Oh, my boy! I love the Iron Turtle. He amuses me to no end. Um, Park's only lost in the UFC to Anthony Hernandez and Gregory Rodriguez. Um, he's on a four-fight winning streak. Eric Anders, Joseph Holmes, Dennis Tolulin, and Albert Duraev. Um, getting a bit of a step up here against Muniz, um, despite Muniz, you know, being, uh, on the two-fight losing streak, Muniz has was, got all the way to the rankings. Um, uh, logically, I, I feel like logically I should go with, uh, Muniz here. Parks had a few issues with, uh, grapplers in the past, but I don't know. Parks one of those, I, I I like watching his fights. He makes me smile, this guy. His fights always do. So I'm going to go with Park. It's maybe a little bit overly emotional, but I'm going to go with Park. Uh, then at Welterweight, we have Song Kanan and Kevin Jusset. Did you set? I can't remember. Um, song, our second song. He's had some ups and downs again in the UFC. Won his first two, lost Alex Morono. Won two more, lost to Max Griffin, lost to Ian Machado Gary. Beat Rolando Bedoya. That was kind of a get-well fight for Song. He had some success against Gary, though, needs to be said. He dropped him at one point in the first round. Um, I don't think we're still in, like, slightly rebuilding mode for him from a matchmaking perspective. Um, where is this fight listed? We didn't lose it, did we? Um, I don't think... No, those were all post... Sorry, that's... Where are you? There, uh, nope, there are you... No? Where are you? Sorry, I can't read. 
Um, there you are. Oh, Jusay is French, so it is Jusay. If he's American, depending on where he is specifically, they would do just do Jusette. Because Americans are weird, depending on where you are. Um, Jusay comes from City Kickboxing. What is UFC debut? Yeah, right against Kiefer Crosby. Um, tough second fight for your, like for your UFC sophomore effort. Being tossed in there with uh, Song Kanan is... That's not doing you any favors, to put it that way. Um, yeah, I'm going with Song. Uh, I expected a little bit more of a difficult matchup for him this time around. Again, he kind of got his get his get right fight, but... Uh, I don't know, maybe they're being nicer to him. Wow, Jusay is the favorite. Not huge, but a little bit. I'm still going with Song, but, you know, interesting. I don't remember enough about his UFC debut. I might be very wrong on this. Anyway, that's your main card. Prelims, we have flyweight action between Hyung Sung Park and Shannon Ross. Um, Ross had an okay UFC debut, I think. He's 13-8. and eight. He's 0-2 in the I am confusing him with um, a different Australian... Australian or New Zealand? Yeah, Australian. I'm confusing him with a different Australian flyweight. My mistake. Um, he's on a two-fight losing streak. Yeah, I'm confusing him with Urseg. Um, lost to Cledson Rodriguez and then Jesus Aguilar. Um, Park, by contrast, 8-0. He won the road to UFC fight, um, didn't he? Back in February, wasn't that what that was? Um... I think that's what the... He either won that or... Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, yeah, I don't mind picking Park. Um, Ross has yet to look very good. Park's still young in his career, only 8-0, but... I think the UFC is going to be a little bit generous. Um, they tr they've tried with some of these Road to UFC guys to, like... Here's a slightly favorable matchup you know not the toughest fight in the world which is and to be clear for some of these guys that's appropriate matchmaking some of them are just very junior again we got a guy with less than 10 fights here he shouldn't be fighting killers um yeah i don't have a problem picking park this doesn't feel like a gimme but it they're very clearly not throwing him into the deep end of the pool either um Okay, let's see. Um, and, dude, it's flyweight, man. Like, they could use the help. Lightweight, Steve Garcia and Melchiel Lacosta. This was supposed to take place at this last card. Got bumped here. I think I picked Garcia last time. I'm not... I don't remember how I picked. Yeah, let me double-check Garcia. Um, let's see, 3-2 and two in the UFC, losses to Luis Pena and Mahashate. However, undefeated at featherweight wins over Chase Hooper and Shailon Nurdanbeke. Um, Costa was the betting favorite. I might switch my pick because, uh, depending on what the illness was to Garcia, I, which I don't know specifically, but... A week is not a lot of time to get over that, depending on what it was. So, you're cutting weight twice. Oh, it's up at lightweight instead of featherweight. Okay. 
probably in consideration of how that played out. I think I am going to lean towards Costa now, all things considered, but just a bit. Uh, women's bantamweight Stephanie Egger and Luana Santos. Um, Egger, up and down in the UFC. Wins over Tracy Cortez. Oh, sorry, lost to Tracy Cortez. Her most recent fight, a loss to Irina Alexkiva. This loss to Myra Buena Silva. She beat Eileen Perez, though. Um, Santos. Uh, where are you? There you are. Is six and one. One and zero oh in the UFC. She beat Juliana Miller. I think I'm going to lean towards Egger. Egger's a little bit more experienced. Wait, do we have flyweight or bantamweight for this? I say it's, I think it's a bantamweight. Yeah. Um, Santos moving up. That might be a problem. I'm okay leaning towards Egger. Um, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm doing. I might, Again, could be very, very wrong. That loss to Alex Giva was not... Boy, that really wasn't good. Hang on. Let me rethink that one. Yeah, let me go with Santos. I think the UFC like her a little bit more. All right, um, we have a catchweight fight up next for reasons. Um, Daniel Marcos and Carlos Vera. Marcos out of Peru. Peru coming on in the MMA space a little bit, yeah? Undefeated, 15-0, 2-0 in the UFC. Wins over Simon Oliveira and that split decision over Davy Grant. That was a pretty good fight. Um, whereas Vera out of Ecuador, 11 and three, making his UFC debut, um, was on some season of tough and lost to Brad Katona. Don't care. Officially his last four fights are wins. I am going to lean towards Marcos here. Um, Marcos has looked pretty good through his first couple of UFC fights, so. I'm going with Marcos, but that one might turn into a decent little fight. Then we have at flyweight Tetsuro Tyra and Carlos Hernandez. Um, Tyra, I still think very, very highly of, undefeated 14-0. Had a few moments against Edgar Chirez that were like, yeah, you know, yeah, a little scary. But he's still pretty young, right? Dude, he's only 23. Um, very young. And he's looked very good. There's still some seasoning that has to happen here, but... I've been pretty high on him for a while. And Hernandez... Let's take a look at him. 9-2... and two. Um, two and one in the UFC wins over Victor Altamirano and Dennis Bondar sandwich uh, lost to Alan Nascimento. I'm just kind of picking Tyra at this point until I get a really good reason not to. Um, and I'm not calling Carlos Hernandez a scrub, but Tyra is Tyra's very good. And I think a lot of his upside.
For some reason, he's like second. He's almost curtain jerking again, but here we are. Flyweights, right? This should be on the main card. I can't say quite instead of Sumudarji and Nasamento. Hang on, what would I take off? I mean, because I'm me, I would bump like Smith and Roundtree, or I would probably bump Hakperlast and Malarkey to like the featured bout of the prelims. And then bump everything else down one and then put these guys on the main card. But again, that's just me. Kicking everything off, um, we have women's strawweight between Rayan Dos Santos and Talita Alencar. So Dos Santos making her UFC debut. She lost her contender series fight last year to Denise Gomes. Um, she's bounced around a little bit. She's been at Atomweight recently in Invicta. In fact, uh, it was the Invicta Atomweight champion. Um, Alan Carr is a very decorated jiu-jitsu practitioner. Um, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of very high finishes there. Um, she fought to a draw in her Dana White, um, contender series fight September of this year. Wound up here anyway, because the puppy mill must keep churning. That's a tough one, actually. Um, the overall experience goes to Dos Santos. Alan Carr's jiu-jitsu credentials are f quite impressive, though. Um, officially, the odds are pretty close, but lean towards Dos Santos. A lot of jiu-jitsu people recently have been struggling with kind of the violence and physicality of MMA when making the transition, so I can understand that. The size might be an issue if Dos Santos can make Adam weight. I'm always a little bit leery about those people who can make one, especially consistently coming back up. So size might be an issue there. I'm going to buck the odds a little bit here. I'm going to lean towards Alan Carr, but just a hair, and I have no real reason to do so. So could be very wrong there. All right. That is the event. It's not great on paper, but I'll be covering it. And you know what? Hopefully it delivers. Hopefully it delivers. We can always hope for that, right? Uh, Saturday, MMAZona411mania.com. Stop by, say hello. I'll be there. Always appreciate it. All right. I have a couple of small news bits here. Um, the first one of these just amuses me. So that's why it's here. Full disclosure, just because this made me laugh. So, you'll recall a little bit ago, there was a UFC event that played part in filming the, like, Roadhouse remake. Which is a terrible idea to begin with, but they had um, Jake Gyllenhaal, the actor, on all the gear. Seriously. I don't know what steroids he got on, um, but good on him. Uh, they had him, like, he weighed in, he did a stare down with, um, was it Jason High? Like, is the actual fighter, obviously it would be a different actor, or a different character, but... Then they broke the action for long enough for them to film 
that thing, and then it, it, they were just like the broadcast was just doing nothing for like 15 minutes. And come to, again, come to find out they were filming the movie. So you can find footage of that online if you're so inclined. But uh, neither here nor there. And Conor McGregor's in it in some kind of capacity, and he got on all the good steroids. So, again, not even necessarily mad at him, just saying. Um, but, so that's, I think that's been, sh- that's been, they've shot it. I think they've edited it. So, like, it, it's done. And we're looking at, like, release dates, and there might be some minor post-production things to still go through. But in general, I think it's finished. And... Apparently, they they were not going to give this even a small, limited theatrical release. It was just going to go straight on to, I think, Amazon Prime. And apparently, Hall and a few other people were not happy about it, so they got either someone involved in the studio, or they might have, like, um, somehow bullied Jeff Bezos into watching more, like, more or less the finished product. So he watched it, I think it's like, like a... a like a good theater system. I mean, Jeff Bezos probably has a theater in his house. One would assume, if you have that much money. But they like they showed him again, either a rough cut or something nearly that. Apparently, like after he saw it, he still said, "No, it's going straight to streaming. <laughs> We're not going to transfer tickets to this." And I'm sorry, this just makes me laugh. So. I'm throwing it here because it amuses me. And look, Jake Gyllenhaal is a very good actor. Um, a very good actor. Historically, he has made for a poor lead. Take that for what it's worth. Again, phenomenal actor. Um, but if he's your leading role, if he's like the lead in your movie, it's historically not done all that well financially. Some, again, critically different story but you're trying to make money and he's your lead you're in a little bit of trouble so i'm pretty sure mark might try to make me review that movie when it comes out so stay tuned to damn you hollywood when roadhouse gets a release date and (laughs) it just amused me like no this needs at least a limited theatrical release because this confers prestige and makes us eligible for awards i think and so they bullied Jeff Bezos into watching it, maybe changing his mind, and he came out of watching it and said, nothing changes. <laughs> Again, this just amuses me. So, I'm a child. I understand. Um, it just made me laugh. Alright, slightly more serious news bit here, and then we'll check Twitter and get out of here. So, Dana White was on um, a podcast recently and said that a super fight kind of fell into their lap. And was immediately asked then, oh, so who's Connor fighting? And he kind of had to do the, no, it doesn't involve Connor McGregor. And this got everybody kind of thinking for a minute or two. Like, who do you have that would qualify for a super fight, my guy? Now, he's the promoter. Promoters lie through their teeth. What he He can come out tomorrow and say that, yeah, yes, it's totally a super fight, even though no one was asking for it. If you look at who the UFC doesn't have available right now, you don't have... So 
if it's not, he says it's not Connor. If it's not Connor, you don't have Khabib. You don't have John Jones. You don't have Francis Ngannou. I don't know who you could be talking about. I I really don't. And <laughs> you got some other guys that are already booked, right? Sean O'Malley's booked. Um, and I don't think any of the other guy, any of the other fighters, rise to like super fight status. Um, again, with John on the shelf, what are we doing here? Are we doing, like, oh, sure, Alex Pereira and Tom Aspinall for the interim heavyweight title. This is a super fight. No, that's a good fight. I will not complain about that fight, mind you. It is not a super fight. You know, is, unless you're going to do, no, you know what this wouldn't even be. If Israel Adesanya, like, says, okay. I'm ending my brief hiatus. I'm moving up to light heavyweight. I'm going to fight Pereira again. And I'm going to try again to become a two-weight world champion. Your third, your second fight in MMA and your fifth fight overall is not a super fight. Sorry. Um, it's just not a super fight. Be a very good fight, and I wouldn't complain one iota about it. Not a super fight. Unless we're, like, dragging George St. Pierre out of retirement to fight Nate Diaz returning to the UFC. Like, we got nothing here. That's the position you're in, man. Um, But again, what the promoter might try to sell as a super fight versus what everyone else thinks of as a super fight. That gulf can be wide as the Grand Canyon sometimes. Um, That does just kind of... Again, it's a little bit that. So, I mean, and then loosely in the same topic, like Dana got asked about the PFL Bellator merger, and I'm sure gave his lawyers another headache when he said, it's one bad company buying another bad company that can't sell tickets. Your lawyers, my man, right now are in court trying to argue that you're not a monopoly. And here you are saying our two next most, the, the two guys next to us, closest to us, combined into one entity and have no market power. You are shooting yourself in the foot, and I can't wait for it to blow up in your face. Uh, so Dana White being Dana White, that's going to that's gonna blow up so badly for them. It really is. Alright, um, yeah, that's kind of what I got, so let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we'll do plugs and get out of here. Alright, nope, so plugs. Monday was supposed to be a double shot on Damn You Hollywood of streaming movies, uh, The Killer and Pain Hustlers. However, life intervened, Mark reached out to me and said I don't think I'll have time for th- to see both of those and the other thing I'm watching... I knew he had taken his kids to see Godzilla Minus One, and I'll be seeing that tomorrow. So I just said, hey, I'm down to talk Godzilla if that's easier. And he said, fine. So Monday, damn you, Hollywood, Godzilla Minus One. 
myself, Mark Radulich. Um, I will also talk briefly about The Killer and Pain Hustlers because I watched them, and I watched them because I had to. <laughs> well, I watched one of them because I had to. I was going to watch The Killer either way, but Pain Hustlers, I, that was just because I had to. So I'll talk a little bit about those, and then Mark and I will give the latest Godzilla movie, The Damn You Hollywood Treatment. It's getting glowing reviews. I can't wait to watch it. I am psyched. I've been a long-time Godzilla fan. Plenty of people know more than I do, but um, when I was a kid, I loved those movies. I could still kind of remember living in um, Oregon at the time. I can kind of remember going where they were, where the Godzilla movies were all located in the Hollywood video rental store. We would go like every other Saturday to rent a movie. I knew where they are. I can still kind of remember that. Which dates me horribly, but, well, here we are. I have... I'm coming up on 40, man. I ain't got a monster hide. <laughs> Not anymore. So, we'll do that. Um, also, the usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. MLW stuff. Will I have MLW this week? I might not. Um, depends on what they do with one shot. Um, we'll see. Possibly. Possible MLW stuff on Thursday. If not, WWE SmackDown on Friday. UFC event on Saturday, and then we're back here to review UFC on ESPN Plus 91 and to preview the last UFC event of 2023. Uh, we will be talking about UFC 296. Leon Edwards, Colby Covington. Are they in Vegas? Yeah, they're in Vegas. Else is there? Flyweight title fight. Boy, that's flying completely under the radar, and it's a good fight between Alexandre Pantoja and Brandon Royval. Shavkat Rachmanov and Stephen Thompson. Tony Ferguson. That's just sad. That's a pretty darn good card. Prelims: Josh Emmett and Giga Chikadze is good. Cody Garbrandt desperately trying to get on track. Um, yeah. Your curtain jerker is Muslim Salikov and Randy Brown. This is a really good card. Dang. Come back next week. Full preview. <laughs> hope, to, hope to see you then. All right. Until then, I'm out of here. Thank you all very, very much. Hope to see you next time. Enjoy the Christmas season. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.